is loyalty comes when we have multiple good experiences. So if you ask an employee how, how satisfied they are and how loyal they are, satisfaction should be higher than loyalty. Hey friends, it's Steve. If I offered to write a client getting book for you in just 60 days, would you take me up on it? I've recorded a 15 minute video showing you our magnetic author method and explaining how it all works. It's up now at magneticauthor.co slash video. Welcome to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Gordon, and we have got a dynamite interview for you today. Uh, today, I'm talking with Lynn Thomas. Lynn is a tax attorney turned consultant who finds innovative and novel ways to go out and create fiercely loyal clients and employees. Now, I don't know about you, but I really want fiercely loyal clients and employees uh, because uh, that's that's your team. You need those people. And so as she does that, uh, you know, she goes out and uncovers the untapped potential in your employees and helps them become deeply engaged and really excel at delighting customers, which is what we want. And as a result, you achieve higher and higher levels of profits and growth and retention with, uh, with all of your customers and clients. So I think this is a fantastic conversation to have, particularly given everything we've been through the last couple of years, um, retaining clients is so important. Lynn Thomas, I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited for the conversation. Welcome. Well, thank you so much, uh, Steve. I'm equally excited, and um, thanks for having me on your podcast. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. So, uh, give everybody a little bit of background. How did you become, uh, you know, or, or go from tax attorney to to consultant, and, and now really focused on uh, this area of, of delighting employees and, and customers? Sure. Um, it's yeah, it's, it's not a common. Um, it's not a career path. <laughs> so um, I was a tax attorney at Arthur Anderson, which I really enjoyed. There are a number of people there who shared in very kind ways that I was quite different than a lot of them. And they did say it in nice ways, like you're much more gregarious and you're much, you're, you're comfortable standing up in front of people. And I saw myself in their eyes, which was a little bit different. And um, so when opportunity came for me to go to Bank of Boston in private banking, that was great. And I went there and never lost a client. I was there like just three years. Um, and I was recruited over to help with a, um, a change, which we call now change management. And it was in that process when of the 1,800 employees, there were um, two people that had heart attacks and uh, one died and one was on disability. So I said, wow, um, how to manage stress would be important. So I went out and I, I thought I did a great job in getting a really top-notch company to be willing to come in and they were only going to charge $500. So I got them down from $1,500. I thought that was quite good. And I went to the project manager and I said, you know, these people come in, help everyone deal with stress because we don't want more people having heart attacks or issues. And he said, no. And I said, no, no, no. It's, it's $500 for everybody. And he said, no. And I said, I'll pay it for it. He said, no. And I was stunned. And I walked, turned around and I made the hair stand on the back of my neck and I resigned the next day. Because I could not see myself working for an organization that was so blunt and open. And well, I'm actually happy he was so blunt and open in some ways, because if he faked it, maybe I would have made up excuses. But um, I did not have a plan. People say, what was your plan? It was just like, I can't work there. And part of it is I grew up with a father who really loved his job. And he'd come home, you know, like singing and dancing almost like every night. And I always thought work is fun. We go in on Saturdays and we go on the intercom. And as little kids, that's pretty cool hearing your voice throughout the, 
the office. And um, so I thought when work is fun and challenging, that's great. And um, at that point, when it wasn't going to be fun or challenging, because if I don't want people dying or I don't want people to be uh, uh, unnecessary stress. And um, so I left and I decided I want to try to, I want to, I want to find um, an consulting firm, my own consulting firm that'll have the triple play, which is um, employees, clients, and shareholders can win. And those, Steve, require different conversations that are a little bit more um, complex. They're a little uncomfortable. They're difficult, but that's where everybody wins. And if everybody's not winning, as we can see now during COVID, you know, 36% of employees that quit during COVID did not have a job you know, lined up. So the message was to their employers, you're not understanding how difficult this is for me. And I can't work and take care of my family or whatever else was going on. So there's a real disconnect between um, employees and uh, employers now. And I think the dynamics of the work workplace have forever changed because of COVID. So um, I started my firm and I pretty early got into, um, because I'm a tax attorney, I'll always be a tax attorney. I wanted something that was quantifiable. I wanted something that I could measure because I wanted to make a difference for clients. I really want to make a difference. And um, client retention, even though it's not in the financials, you, you can figure out what it is. It takes some time and effort. So um, I, my first big break, if you want to say it, was um, I was a substitute keynote speaker for a gentleman here in Boston for independent insurance agencies. And my phone rang for 18 months. And my naivety, I didn't know it was going to stop. You know, I just figured, oh, well, I just hit on something really good. And someone should have said, no, you hit something incredible at this perfect time with the industry that could use it the most because PNC insurance um, agents have the highest customer acquisition cost, 13 times higher to replace a client than to keep one. So um, I did a lot of work with them, with hotels, et cetera. But I have a passion around what Tom Peters calls today extreme humanism. With COVID, we have, you have to take care of your employees because I've seen you know, employees go through hurricanes and blizzards because their employers really care about them to get to their office and to take care of clients. And you know, I've, I've heard from a lot of people with mergers and acquisitions that most owners, it's like, I can't stand their turnover. I can't stand managing the people. I want out. And it's like, oh, I could help you solve that quickly. Like, it's really not hard, but it's uncomfortable conversations. If you have to genuinely care, and if you don't care, it's probably not good to be a manager. It's not good to be a manager. You know, it really is not because the employees will know that. And especially with the millennials and the Gen Zs, and they want to have purpose and they want to, they're not as financially oriented as previous generations. And they want, um, and they will leave at four o'clock or three o'clock if the work is done. You know, they're not going to stay to the end of the day and work ridiculous hours. And they're the most agile, the most resilient, the tech was tech savvy. And I've never seen a millennial, uh, Steve, say, I'm overwhelmed. It's like impossible to overwhelm them. You just keep giving them work, giving them work, they get it done. So they're the most desirable employees. And many organizations now, like I was at a meeting a few weeks ago, and a guy said, I don't want to work with them. I'm going to retire. I don't want to work with them. And I'm like, okay, um, they're going to be 75% of the workforce 2025, but he plans to be out, um, so we have choices. But I you just need, need to deep, deeply care and deeply listen to clients and employees. And um, But now the focus needs to be on employees. So for the, the businesses you work with, what, what's the pain that they're feeling? What, when they, you know, that phone rings and they're calling you, why are they calling? What is it that they're experiencing? Um, great question. Um, Sometimes what they're experiencing is they can't keep employees. 
or they had a, um, a client, big client leave, and there was an ouch. Early on in my career, Boston College, I'm based in Massachusetts, Boston College did a market research project. Nine of my 10 clients did not know they had a client retention problem. Because what it is, Steve, is most people think if you lose 10 to 15% of your clients every year, that's okay, because that's the norm. To me, that's like, that's not. I mean, that may be average, that may be normal, but I want my clients to be exceptional. I want them to be stellar. I don't, you know, if you're losing more than 5% of your employees or clients in a year, you're, you can do things to keep them. And they're so expensive to replace either of them. So it's like 95% or higher should be what everybody shoots for. And um, it shows on the bottom line real quickly because you're not paying those huge costs to replace them and to get them up to speed, et cetera. So would they usually, they're referred by somebody else because they're having people problems. Their staff have reached plateaus with goals or they're not, they're not as motivated, they're not as engaged, they've plateaued is more what I would hear. And, and people basically through speaking engagements or reading an article say, you know, that sounds like me. Um, and for many businesses, and as you know, Steve, people, entrepreneurs go into them because they're really good at something and it's usually not people management. So you know, 85% of managers never had any management training before they become managers. That's like asking a surgeon to do heart surgery, but yeah, you don't need, you don't need to study that. Just do it. It's, it's, it doesn't work. So I'm a lot of real strong believer in emotional intelligence, which we can all increase really easily. It's not something hard. There's be a willingness and in that. Um, so basically, you know, my, I think it's really sad that people work 40 hours a week at a job they don't like or hate. I just think that's a total mismatch. Like that should not be acceptable. You know, nobody should have to do that. There's a, so to get the right employees in the right jobs um, and it may be other places in the company, but I always go for, for finding what I call the slice of genius in each employee. You know, Pixar has a, that assumption that each employee has a slice of genius and you have to find that. And I'm really good at finding that in people and I think it's possible because my background, when I was a tax attorney, I did not think I was creative or anything. I mean, it was just, it's okay. I was, I'm, there's a part of me that's very analytical, very logical. I can do all that. But then there's the other part that's having the understanding that everybody sees everything the same way. I didn't see myself the same way as um, the people that Arthur Anderson and Bank of Boston. And by giving people feedback in, in a kind way, and people can hear it, hopefully, they can they can realize their on tap potential because you know on an average day we're using two percent of our brain consciously a day we're really pumping the ions you got five percent and Einstein men of the century twelve percent so you know we're we've done impossible things you know make, creating the vaccine was something that was impossible to do in nine months we did it going remote was impossible when, when my client said if we were ever told to go remote we'd still be in a pilot you know uh, it's like it wouldn't have happened but when we were we did it. Now, it wasn't maybe smooth and easy, but we did it. And we were creative in how we did it. So when people say it's impossible, what I like to do with myself, and if I get into a place where I'm stuck, but with my clients, is for, for them to find 20 solutions. And they'll say, oh, why 20? And so my, my friend Scott and Jones, who did a voicemail, and he comes up every day with his biggest personal professional problem, and he comes up with 20 solutions. And when he told me that, I said, why? And he said, well... The first five, actually, Lynn, the first 10 are pretty ordinary. People will come up with them. And, you know, over 15 is when they get interesting. And you combine a little bit of number two and number seven and number 15, and you get 16, 17. You're like, wow. And I think it's our school system, which there was always one right answer. And 
in this scenario with crisis management going on, you have one solution and that doesn't work. You have no plan. That's not a, a smart way to do anything in this day and age. I mean, we're in times of, you know, VOCA, um, VUCA, which is, you know, volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous times. And you have multiple plans and then you can contrast them and you can compare and you can evaluate and you can say which one would be best. This would be the best to lead with. If that one does, doesn't work, we can come up with this. So you have options and people don't feel um, stuck or trapped. So I go for the slice of genius, multiple solutions and going for 20. You know, Scott sometimes will go for 50 and he's a serial entrepreneur and they all come out of his uh, ideas. And the other thing is for people to be uncomfortable. And I know people are uncomfortable with COVID and I'm uncomfortable. You know, the world has vastly changed. And Tom Peters said at a, a session I was at many, many years ago, he said, you know, if you go to the work the same way every day and you go home the same way and you eat lunch with the same people and at night you watch the same programs and on the weekends, you go to the same movie theaters or restaurants, where the heck are you supposed to get new ideas? He said, when I go to the airport, I pick up magazines I don't know anything about. What most of you do is probably pick a magazine you know something about that just reinforces your ideas. He said, I think the problem with America is that you have a lot of white men who went to the same business schools and the same professors and the same textbooks. Mix it up. Get out of your routines. Do something different. At least two things uncomfortable every day. So I've been doing two things uncomfortable every day since, you know, that was the mid-1990s. Mid and it's how I get ideas for clients because I'm not very conventional. Out of the box is like mild, but I... I can do a lot of things very differently. And um, I see hardships and crises as places to have compassion. And also there's great opportunities. There's always great opportunities. So it's like, we can say, isn't this horrible? This happened, blah, blah, blah. But what's the opportunity? Let's spin it around. Let's look through like a kaleidoscope. What's the opportunity here for us? Is there an opportunity? I'm sure there's one. You know, let's, let's come up with 20 opportunities and then really doing some deep brainstorming um, in many different ways. So I like to uh, get people more innovative because I don't think we're innovative enough and people won't, will say they're not innovative. I had somebody at the Bank of Boston say to me, I'm not creative, okay? I'm just not. I said, fine. If after the seminar, you don't think that's fine. And he came up and he says, you know what? I am. And this was a guy who was probably in his middle 60s at that point, where he retired. He goes, I never thought I was creative. Well, thank you so much. And it's like, I never thought I was creative either, Arthur Anderson. I mean, we were all creative. So I don't know if that sort of answers this long-winded answer to your question, but it's, I get people energized. I get them moving. I get them thinking that they have the capacities because we have huge untapped capacity inside of us. And I don't want people to die with the best music inside of them. You know, the best abilities not tapped. It's like, you know, we just tap into them. And um, I think living life big, you know, is important. And what I mean by that is, I was working with one client and there was this new uh, attorney who had come aboard and he was introverted, um, quieter. In management meetings, there was this one man, I'll call him Joe. And Steve, you could bet Joe's going to interrupt anybody because Joe interrupts. He's a salesperson. He talks a lot. So I'll call this guy, Harry. And so Harry starts talking and Joe interrupts him and Harry stops. So I do some executive coaching and I said to Harry, why'd you stop? He said, well, Joe interrupted me. I said, so that's what Joe does. I mean, that's Joe being Joe. I don't like being interrupted. I said, get over it. You know, that's Joe. Uh, he said, what am I supposed to do? I said, well, tell him to stop. And he said, what if he doesn't? I said, well, put up your hand and say, stop. And if not, I said, then you stand up and you say, stop. And I guarantee you he'll stop. And so the next meeting, he did that. And now he 
when he speaks, people listen. And he has price because he has a different perspective. And to be at, anybody to be at the management table or to wherever your job is, you have to do your job fully. That's what I mean by big. You don't play small. Like I'm afraid to say this because of the risk. I'm afraid to mention this. It'll be, it'll be different. In these days, we need different ideas. We need to mix up things. Those are the companies that are being most successful. No one's sort of doing the same thing they've done um, for many years. So, so with Harry, you know, he um, thanks me because he never thought he could be outspoken. He could control Joe and other salespeople. And he said, you gave me the confidence. So I think some people just need encouragement and a little bit of, um, you can do it. Go ahead, do it. I mean, that's your job. That's what you're hired for. And I'd give him feedback, other, other ways that he could make his points because they were they were clearly need to be made. So I think when any of us play small, everybody loses. So I want people fully being who they are. That's being assertive, not aggressive or passive, but being assertive appropriately and doing doing your job to the very best to excel, to be a master, to be stellar at your job. I just don't want people to be average. I mean, that's boring as far as I'm concerned. Mediocre, average, it's like, yeah, you can find out how to be that, just sort of go along. But if you want to be stellar, and I've worked with many companies who want their employees to be stellar, and then their clients are, are, are in love with them and will give you referrals and will give you your ambassadors out there. So, you know, if you want to create an a, a organization that's different than others, because you'll be different. I want to teach you to do the twist when everyone's doing the tango. You know, you do the tango, you look like everyone else. That's, uh, no one's buying the tango these days. So but those are those are some, um, you know, thoughts. And I think to a certain extent, it's uh, mindsets that people have. Um, there's the capability mindset, the growth mindset. Some people think, well, I've learned everything I can learn. I don't have the ability and to change that. So um, those are some thoughts off the top of my head. So you mentioned needing to have difficult conversations. I, and I assume that applies both to employees and with the, the client you're trying to retain. I mean, in most cases, the best clients I've ever had have always appreciated when we told them the truth, even when the truth was uncomfortable. So I think it applies in both situations. How do you approach those difficult conversations? A great way to start off is I think this is going to be a difficult conversation. And I think it's going to be uncomfortable. So I just want to tell you that ahead of time. And um, I picked a, a place where I thought we could have it. And I'm going to be totally upfront and honest with you. I'd appreciate if you do the same. And I'm trusting everything we say here stays confidential. You know, does that work? And I want the person to say yes out loud usually. And I'll you know, be honest, is it could be something about the way that you're working no longer works, or um, there's some issues that we need to be addressed. I'm flexible, but we need to address them and then talk about them if it's with a client. If it's with employees, which are usually more common, um, and especially now to have start talking about things we didn't talk about, like our families and balance and wellness and mental health, well-being. If people are like, well, we don't talk about it. It's like, we need to have those discussions now. We need to have that. So how are you doing? How are you taking care of yourself and your family? And what about your mother-in-law who, who moved in? How's that going? Do you need any help? I mean, I've had some, you know, some things you can do to wow your employees is if they're still working from home or even it's hybrid, you know, sending them um, meals, um, and just have them delivered for the whole family. I mean, everyone stresses over food and the service, you know, just have a delivery service for them for the next month or whatever period of time. And it's a chunk of money, but you know, replacing them is 300 to 500% of their current compensation. So you, know, you want to spend, you know, two or $3,000 a month, or you want to spend a couple hundred thousand. I mean, to me, that's a no brainer. Um, but I would ask them what they really want, how I could help you. 
what I could do and listen and, and encourage. If you hear, you know, it's like when we speak, Steve, if someone stops in the middle of a sentence, I'll say, you know, Steve, you just stopped. Would you be willing to tell me what you wanted to say? It sounded like there was something else. And usually 90% of the time, the person will say it. If I want someone to answer a question and I don't think they will, they say, I want to ask you a question. And, and I just want to say, will you be honest with me? Will you tell me the answer? And they'll say yes. And then ask the questions. If you preface it so the person's not hit with a two by four, because I think people don't know how to preface things and saying, this is going to be a different conversation. This is going to be uncomfortable. But we need to do this because I want you to stay as being a client. And we've got to get on the same page. We've been on that for years. I think we're a little off, um, but I'm confident we get back on. So what I'd like from you is, you know, X, Y, and Z. But I want to hear, what do you want from me? What do you need from me? Because I want you, Steve, to be thrilled about working here. I want you to stay here as long as it works for you to stay here. And if that's giving you a customized career plan, I'm willing to do that. If that's helping you with any issues at home with your family because of remote school and learning, I'm willing to do what we can for that. And it's down to each individual employee. You can't do one size fits all. But that's, and that's going to be uncomfortable with the employee. And the thing I'll say about appreciation recognition is it's always uncomfortable to give and receive appreciation, but appreciation is worth, worth 30% of a person's compensation. So give it to them. The best ones are five positive for every one negative. And I'd say in this country, we're really good at criticism. One of our best um, clients, he said, um, I, I criticize softly and I praise loudly. I criticize softly. I praise loudly. Most do the opposite. And we're not really good. When I'll hear from employees, I'll say, you know, I don't hear about the 98% of what I do well. I hear about the 2% I don't do well. And I'm tired of hearing about it. And I'll say, when was the last time you were appreciated? You know, one-to-one? -one? Don't know. When was the last time you had that personal evaluation? My performance? Three years ago. I mean, you're sending the message. I don't care. You have to have some systems in place. And I think really doing um, stay interviews, you know, why are you staying? What keeps you here? You know, why would you leave? You know, and, and do those do those, and then roll them into and then have a stay plan. I want to keep you. Because people do exit interviews. I mean, you've lost the opportunity when they're exiting. It's great. But what about when you're, they're staying? And then hopefully there won't, there won't be as many exiting if you know what to do about that. And there's also ways to know if your clients or employees are about to leave. We call them clients in jeopardy of leaving and employees in jeopardy of leaving. And then you can intervene and retain them. So how do you identify those, those clients or those employees that are in jeopardy? Um, well, we do interviews. Um, and so interview your top clients. So when we say top clients, that's the 20% who generate 80% of the revenue because that's the fire of any business, the growth. And employees, it can usually be all top employees. It could be a spectrum of employees. It's a little more challenging with employees. Um, if the company is really large, there's we'll, we'll do segments of it. But usually our ideal clients are probably anywhere from 40 to 1,000 employees is usually um, the, the size we deal with. So um, because they answer questions differently, there's statistical analysis that we can do that's predict uh, that's um, predictive analytics that will predict when a person will leave based on their responses to four, to four to five questions. And so to think about it, so if you went to a restaurant and you were there your first time trying it and on the way out, someone says, can I just ask you a question? You know, were you, how happy were you? You said happy. So how loyal are you? You probably say 
it's my first time here. I, I couldn't say loyalty. Because loyalty comes when we have multiple good experiences. So if you ask an employee how, how satisfied they are and how loyal they are, satisfaction should be higher than loyalty. If it's lower than loyalty, it means you burn through a few levels of satisfaction that person's likely to leave. Because satisfaction by many, many events create a loyal customer. So that's one hint. And then there's other ways they act. There's questions that we've used over the years where you can pinpoint them. And it's out to one to two years now with employees and two to three years with clients. So you just call up a client and say, you know, I want to check in how we're doing. You know, what's working, what's not working. Because nothing's great for that long. I mean, with all businesses, you know, if you have some great, I had one, one prospect I was speaking with and they had one client which, earned, which generated 40% of the revenue. And I said to him, that's risky. And they said, ah, they'll never leave. With, they've been with us like 30 years. Two years later, they left and they called me and they said, if we worked with you, they wouldn't have left. So um, it's another way they'll, they'll find it because uh, they just have the attitude they'll never leave. And especially those you think will never leave. If you've not told them, you know, and what else I say is if you've not told employees or clients, like you're really important to me. I really care about you. I care about your business. What can we do? What's one thing we could do that would make you're working with us easier, better, um, more enjoyable, whatever. One way we can improve, you know, and, and for employees too. You know, what's one thing we could do to make your job easier, more enjoyable, more engaged? And then listen. So if they say something, when I was in private banking, um, a, service, a survey came back and said we needed to be more professional. And I thought that meant being out with clients. My colleague Carol thought it was being in the office when they called and Carl Fortunately, thought it was updating his ties from a small print to a big print. In a meeting, I said, Carl, you changed your ties. And he said, well, you have to be more professional. And I said, yeah, what's the connection? He said, well, you look like you're current, you're up to date, you know, you're, you're with it. I said, oh, wow, I never thought about that. I think it was being out at the clients when they need you. And she said, Carol said, I thought it was being here when they call. And so when I started my own business, I said, I want to make sure the frontline people know the exact behaviors that they need to demonstrate to convey to the clients that they're valuable, that they, um, uh, they're cared about. Because they come back with professional or be friendly or be open or be whatever, unless you drill down and say, well, tell me more about that. What's professional? And someone may say, well, they've been around a while. Okay, what is around a while? Well, they've been in the business five to seven years. Anything particular about that? More years? More is okay, less is not. Okay, what else? Well, they have to get back to me quickly. On everything? No, the important things. What are the important things? So give me a list. So what's your what's the time you want um, them to respond to you? Two hours? Okay. And everything else? 24? That works. Okay. What else? So they'll give me a list of four or five things. And that's what you have to deliver. You know, it, professional is like the umbrella and all these things are dangling underneath. And surveys will come out. I mean, you can't do this via surveys, I guess, is the bottom line. Because you've got you've to hear what people say. And, um, and deliver that to them. So what I'll say to all organizations is there's four to five key behaviors or deliverables that you're giving to clients, your top 20% that generate 8% of your revenue. If you can figure out what they are, which you can, and you deliver those to everybody, you will get more A clients. Because the A clients will be like, wow, this was custom made for us. This was made, and that's right. We want to make it just for you. That's who we're geared towards. And they will refer more people we also do referral profiles. So clients, you can find out how a client wants to be approached to give a, a referral. It's in 5% don't. People perceive 
no one does, but most, some want a business card these days. They want, you know, contact me in a week. Let me think about it. But there's many ways of asking for referrals and they're, you know, 80% of your new business statistically will come from over the next five years will come from your current uh, 20% of clients that generate 80% of your revenue. So I want you really focused on them. I want you to delight them. I want them to be like raving about you, not just like, oh yeah, they're really good. No, I want to hear like, okay, on a scale of 10 to, uh, one to 10, how are they at 12? Give me a 12. What do they have to do to be a 12? Because 12 is what's going to work tomorrow when everyone else is being a 10, because that's going to fall at eight or something like that. So I want them off the scale. And that's when they go, wow, I can't believe what they did, you know? And I'll hear some of these amazing stories. I mean, one, one client said, I said, what would it take you to leave? He said, an act of Congress. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I that client's not going anywhere, you know? So it depends. People say they'll say, you know what they'll say. Some will say, um, they'll have to fire me. I'm not leaving. I'm not going. I'm too happy, you know? And there are some of your clients that are like that. And then have them on client councils and have them give you advice of how to run your business. I mean, are they going to leave when you when you take their ideas? I mean, no. And former clients, go after your former clients. You know, one out of 10 former clients will come back because the grass is not greener on the other side. You know, one client I was working with, um, I called 15 of his former clients. We got nine back and that was $600,000 of new revenue, three months. Wow. So, you know, we never go after former clients. It's like, Okay, your ego's hurt, whatever, put that aside. If he or she was a really good client, was an A client, top client, get them back. And you may have to, you may have to, you have to wait a certain period of time, but check in, just say, I really care about you, Steve. I know you left. I'm not calling you to ask you to come back. I just want to check in to make sure how things are going. Are all you are they taking care of all your needs? I just want to make sure you're being taken care of. And you'll probably say, Yeah. And you're waiting for me to say that. I said, Well, you ever need anything? Please give me a call. And you do that two or three times. And you really mean it genuinely. You're not just doing it to do it. It'll come across. And Steve's probably going to see the grass is not much greener on the other side. And, and many of them come back. So it's not that hard to get new clients or to keep clients or employees. But you have to ask different questions and at different times, like stay interviews. And even clients. Basically, we do a lot of stay interviews with clients. Like, why are you staying? You know, and they'll say, oh, because they recognize my voice. That's an odd one because some people still have <laughs> the phones um, or they get back to my, uh, my emails real quickly. Basically, responsiveness is key. Accessibility is key. Being knowledgeable is key. Um, and having um, technologically easy um, interfaces with clients is, is really key. And COVID has sped that up, you know, four to six years, digital technology. So if that's not something you're offering your clients, a, a portal that they can go into when they want, that's, I would suggest, going along those lines and, and um, or ask them. It's probably a, bit, a better, a better uh, choice, so. Yeah, I would imagine so. Uh, well, if, if you, I know we're getting a little bit short on time, but if you could leave everybody with kind of one thought or one action that they should take from this to, to go forward, what would that be? Go for the win, win, win. Find a way where if you're the owner, you can get a good share of the profits you can make, you share some with employees, spend more on employees, maybe spend more on clients to get them these stellar experiences and sit back and just watch your business take off and do that with excitement and passion and really believe in it. And I'll tell you, it'll, can, I, can I tell one quick story? Please. Okay. So I was taken off from a, on a plane from Charlotte, North Carolina. It was early in the morning 
And um, this one gentleman said, next to me asked me what I did. And we talked and he said, I got a great story for you. And I said, oh, okay. And he said, well, last night I was at my wife's boss's Christmas party. And I was telling him I was coming to the airport, take this flight. And we had the prediction of ice. And he said, no, 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 you're not going, you're not driving to the airport. We don't know how to drive on ice. My chauffeur is going to pick you up. He said, you're too valuable to that woman and those two kids, no way. And he turned to me and he said, my wife cannot quit that job. Where do you find a boss like that who genuinely cares? Now, we don't all have chauffeurs we can dispense, but there's things equivalent to that you can do to communicate as you really value that employee. And when you can say his or her family, man, and you mean that, I tell you, they'll jump through hoops, they'll do anything for you. So really care about them. And if that's not normal for you or comfortable for you, that's okay. We're in uncomfortable times. I think uncomfortable is the new norm. So I think it's been, I think that's always been the norm. I don't, I don't think the human condition uh, has comfort within it. So um, everybody just needs to get used to it. I think, Uh, well, Lynn Thomas, thank you so much for investing some time with me. This has been really educational. There's a lot of takeaways I think for folks and uh, now more than ever, it's, I think it's critical to be focusing first on your employees because it's darn hard to replace them right now. And, uh, and if you've got good ones, you want to hang on to them. And they're the ones that are going to go out and, and retain those clients for you. So really timely topic and I uh, appreciate you sharing with us today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on, Steve. It's been delightful. Still here? Excellent. Let me tell you about what's coming up at The Unstoppable CEO. In October, we're relaunching a program we haven't done in over a year. And uh, you may know that one of the ways that we help people is we help folks write their book. And we've got a high-end program that we'll actually write your book for you, but that's not what this is. This is for you if you wanna write a book, but you want it to be your own words. You don't wanna have a ghostwriter write it for you or you just don't have the budget yet to be able to afford to have somebody write it for you. That's why we created this program that we're gonna relaunch again in October called the Author Accelerator. And what the Author Accelerator is, it's it's really a 90-day writing sprint. And I'm gonna take you and guide you through all of our strategies and processes for writing a book. And the thing that makes this really unique is that we break it all down into really small chunks. So it doesn't seem like a big daunting task to write this book. Most people get intimidated when they start that process. Well, we break it down so it's just 30 minutes a day over the course of these 90 days. And you'll have it done. In fact, you'll have the book written in much less than that. But then we'll use the rest of the time to help you package it up and get the marketing prepared so that you can go out and use this book as a lead generation tool to attract your ideal clients. And this is the perfect time to get started. If you start with our group, and it'll be limited to just 10 people, if you start with our group in October, you'll have your book ready for 2022. You'll be able to launch into the new year with a brand new book with something newsworthy to go tell your market about. So if that's something that you're interested in, the first thing that you have to do is you have to get on the waiting list. We're not going to advertise it out to everybody on our list when it opens up. It's only going to be announced to the people on the waiting list. The way that you do that is you go to unstoppableceo.net slash accelerator. You can get on the waiting list there and you can learn all about the course. Hope you'll join us.